Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. So we're continuing our series through the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And the title of today's message is Doubts in the Dungeon. Doubts in the Dungeon. And this comes from uh, Dr. Quarles, this title. So give him credit for that. It's like I couldn't do anything better than that. That's great. That, that sums it up, what we're doing here. Doubts in the Dungeon. And we'll look at three main sections today. First, we'll look at doubts from suffering and wrong expectations. And then second, we'll see how we should have faith from what we have seen and what we have heard, which I'll break down into two subpoints. Is We'll see five miracles to show that Jesus is the divine Messiah. And then second, how we can have right expectations about God's kingdom. And then the third section, last, will we'll end with some encouragement, but also a warning from John the Baptist. So starting in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. So we spent about three weeks going through chapter 10, looking at the instructions Jesus gave to his disciples, and he sent them out on mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then chapter 11, this is the summary of what we get. We don't get what they did. We don't know what happened. This is, this is the details that he gives us. Matthew focuses on Jesus. And Jesus moving, is moving on, and so does Matthew's account. As Dr. Turner points out, Matthew's focus is not on the disciples, but on Jesus and his teaching. While we are given details of the disciples in other places in Matthew and other places in the New Testament, we learn about their missions, their teachings, we learn about their stories, what, what to do, maybe what not to do. But every time we learn about the disciples, we learn that their ministry, their teaching, it's all rooted in Jesus. And we must keep Him at the center. Even in the other stories and other letters of the New Testament, they always keep Jesus at the center of their, their ministry, and so should we. And also notice the summary of Jesus' ministry here. It says that He was teaching and preaching. While we know Jesus showed His love and compassion to people tangibly through healing, well, we, we see here that He also teaches and he also um, has taught us to love others tangibly. He taught us to love others through hospitality, how to pray for and meet physical needs. But we, that cannot be all we do. Our love for people's physical needs should not be done to the exclusion of their spiritual needs. For Jesus' mission included the teaching and preaching about God's kingdom, teaching about sin, the need for repentance, teaching about God's grace and, and love, how to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in God's kingdom on earth. So with this introduction, we now move into our first point, doubts from suffering and wrong expectations. In verse 2, Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples. So as Jesus is teaching and preaching, we see something else going on with John the Baptist. He's in prison for calling out King Herod for his sin of adultery. We learn that in Matthew 14, 4. And we know from Matthew chapter 3, 
that John the Baptist was God's prophet. He was pre preaching repentance and declaring that the kingdom of heaven has come near. We saw that John was the one prophesied by Isaiah to prepare the way of the Lord. And from John 1.29, when John saw Jesus, John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what we know so far is that John is the prophesied prophet of God to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. He recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was bold. He stood up for the truth. And he's currently suffering in jail for speaking the truth. Again, the Bible never promises an easy life for following and believing in and standing for the truth of God. It is consistent that we should be prepared to be hated. We should be prepared to be ridiculed and persecuted. For that was the majority of Jesus' instruction to his disciples before they went out on their mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. He says, beware, be prepared, be mentally, spiritually ready to endure, to remain faithful, to remain loyal to Jesus, no matter what may come. And so now here, right after giving those instructions, we get a glimpse we get an example of someone being persecuted for the truth. And we, we see arise a temptation of doubt. For in Matthew eleven two, the setting is that John the Baptist has been hearing about what Christ has been doing. How Jesus is the promised King, Messiah to come that was promised in the Old Testament. He hears about the miracles. He hears about the preaching and teaching of Jesus. People are recognizing and claiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But John is like, wait a second. Uh, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is bringing in God's kingdom, why am I in jail under the authority of a worldly, sinful kingdom of King Herod? So even with all his past knowledge, even with John the Baptist's experience of Jesus himself, even in the role of God's prophet, John the Baptist starts doubting. And he sends a message to Jesus and asks in verse 3. He says, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? It seems in the midst of persecution, John starts doubting whether or not Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And perhaps we too, when faced with persecution, faced with trials and sufferings, we too may question Jesus. And John also likely thought, like many other Jews during his time, they thought that the Messiah would be a political revolutionary, someone to come and overthrow Rome, get rid of the corrupt government like King Herod. Free the captives like John the Baptist, who was in prison for preaching about the kingdom of God and the need for repentance. But as Matthew has made clear from the very beginning, Jesus did not come to save people from Rome. He came to save his people from their sins, Matthew 121. And perhaps we too may question Jesus as the Messiah. Perhaps because we too have had wrong views of what the Messiah should be like. Maybe you thought by believing in Jesus, all your struggles and troubles and temptations would just go away. Jesus doesn't promise to take away all these things here and now. But he does promise that he will be with you. That he loves you. That he will make you into a new creation. He begins the work of making you more like him. 
transforming your desires, empowering you by the Holy Spirit to obey His law. So when your reality doesn't match up with your expectations about Jesus and His kingdom, it's not that your situation proves that Jesus was wrong. Rather, it may be that your beliefs about Jesus and His kingdom need to be corrected and conformed to the Word of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He has come to save people from their sins and to remind and encourage John and us today to remain faithful to him. We'll see Jesus give these two encouragements. First, he says, this is our second section here. We'll move into verse four. We'll see that faith from what you have seen and what you have heard. And to two sub points, we'll see that Jesus gives five miracles to show that he is the divine Messiah. And then second, he'll give us right expectations about God's kingdom. So verse 4. Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. Jesus is about to summarize his mission and give the evidence, the proof of prophetic fulfillment, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is bringing in the kingdom of God. And says not only what you see, that is, not only what miracles you see, but also what you hear. That is, the teaching and the words and the meanings associated with his miracles. For as we will see next week in Matthew eleven twenty, many actually see Jesus' miracles, but they don't get it. They miss the point of the miracles. They didn't get the significance. They didn't leave changed or transformed. They didn't repent of their sins and follow him. And so we cannot miss the significance of Jesus' words. We cannot miss their meanings, the meaning associated with his healings. We must pay attention to what was seen and what was heard. As Jesus explains in verse 5, he says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. So here we see five miracles, five signs to show that Jesus is the Messiah. First, the blind see. We see this in Matthew 9, 27. So in the bulletin, the cross-references, I basically said much of Matthew chapter 3 and much of Matthew chapter 9. So we'll go in. It's a recap of these chapters. So the blind people see, Matthew 9, 27, in which Jesus is declared to be the Son of David, the Lord, thus declaring that he is the promised king in the line of King David. He is the ultimate shepherd king, fully God and fully man. He is prophesied to come on the day of God's coming, Isaiah 35, 5. It says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. And also in Ezekiel 34, 23, it says, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. So Jesus is the shepherd king who heals the blind and take care of his sheep. Second, the lame walk, Matthew 9, 2, in which Jesus proves that he's the son of man. As referenced in Daniel 7, 13, he receives glory and praise from all people, receiving an eternal kingdom, that Jesus is God himself. And in this story, in the healing of the lame, Jesus forgives the man's sins. Something only God can do, Daniel 9, 9. And he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 35, 6. 
Then the lame will leap like deer. And then third, the leprosy, those with leprosy are cleansed. Matthew 8, 2 through 4. And we saw when leprosy was cured in the Old Testament, it was by miraculous means. And in one instance, healing leprosy was thought of like raising the dead, something only God can do. 2 Kings 5, 7. For anyone who touches someone with leprosy also became unclean. But this does not happen with Jesus. Instead, the disease spreading through the touch, the disease is cleansed by the touch of Jesus. Fourth, the deaf hear. Matthew 9, 32. And here we must not be like the Pharisees who saw Jesus heal the deaf man and they actually attributed Jesus' power to Satan. They saw his miracle but were blinded to its true meaning and significance. Jesus did not heal by the power of Satan, but because he is God, he also fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 35, 6. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And then finally, fifth, the dead are raised, Matthew 9, 18 through 26. In Jesus, unlike Elijah in 1 Kings or Elisha in 2 Kings, Jesus did not cry out to God in prayer for God to raise the girl from the dead, for Jesus is God. He has the power and authority to raise the dead in himself. And he could have raised the dead without touch, but he honors the Father's request he shows that he touches when he touches someone unclean, again, he is not like every other person who also becomes unclean. Jesus' touch brings healing, cleansing, and life. Thus, we cannot miss the significance of these five miracles in their context of the Old Testament, in their context of Jesus' teaching, in the context of which these miracles occurred in Matthew's account. The point is, Jesus is the Messiah. He is God himself the one who has come to save his people from their sins. And Jesus not only tells them of these five miracles, but he also tells them to report what they hear. In verse 5, Matthew eleven five, he says, The poor are told the good news. Now this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now John the Baptist would have, reading Isaiah 61, he says, See, if you're the Messiah, if you're bringing the good news to the poor, then why haven't you opened up the prison cell that I'm in? Like mentioned in Isaiah 61. For John likely understood this prophecy to be being fulfilled in physical terms. And while Jesus does heal physical ailments and calls for his disciples to help the poor that are financially poor, Jesus' physical healings point to the greater spiritual need, the healing from sin and spiritual death. For the only other time the word poor is previously used in the Gospel of Matthew is when Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We saw how Jesus is bringing this good news, the good news to the poor in spirit. That is, those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt before God. As Dr. Quarles explains, someone who is keenly aware that he is spiritually destitute 
and must rely entirely on the grace of God for salvation. So part of the good news is to recognize and to admit to your role in the bad news that you have sinned and rebelled against God, but the good news is God is gracious and he offers forgiveness through his son's death on the cross. So we must not have the wrong expectations of Jesus. We cannot buy into the lie that Jesus came to make you financially wealthy. For if your faith in Jesus is dependent on your wealth, then your faith in Jesus is misguided. And you've actually missed the point of Jesus' mission. Jesus came to save you from your sins, transform your life to honor him, and to love and to tell others about this good news. He came to bring the kingdom of God, not build your kingdom or the kingdom of man. And the way believers experience God's kingdom now is through recognizing and submitting to the one true king, King Jesus. And this too should well up in us an inner joy. For us to have a loving and gracious God who leads us, who is with us, and will never forsake us. And just as Jesus said that the poor in spirit are blessed, he also tells John the Baptist in verse 6. He says, blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. The word blessed here is the same word Jesus uses repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount. As Dr. Quarles explains, Jesus was not referring to an emotion or a feeling that is based on present circumstances, nor was he assuring that life would not be plagued with difficulties. Instead, it refers to the deep inner joy of those who have long awaited the salvation promised by God and would now begin to experience its fulfillment. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes the blessings of joy we have as being rooted in living in the kingdom of God, being comforted, inheriting the earth, being filled with righteousness, being shown mercy, the promise of seeing God, and being called sons and daughters of God. That is what our joy is rooted in. All these spiritual blessings and causes for deep inner joy are dependent on our trust and loyalty to Jesus. That is why we cannot be offended by Jesus. We cannot fall away from our trust in him. To fail to believe in Jesus is to fail to receive the spiritual blessings he offers of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. But there is also comfort here. For there is blessing, eternal, great blessing, and lasting inner joy for the one who is loyal to Jesus who trust in him as their God, Savior, and King. So Jesus gives John the Baptist and us today the evidence that he is the Messiah. It explains the nature of his kingdom and the good news that he offers. And then he presents a choice. First, you can trust in him and receive the blessings of the kingdom and and of the good news. Or second, you don't trust him. You are offended by him. And you won't receive the blessings of the kingdom or the good news. And after addressing John's doubts in the dungeon, Jesus now turns his attention to the crowds and he affirms the role of John as the prophet of God. And we'll turn to our our last section here. We'll see encouragement and warning from John the Baptist, starting in verse 7. So as as these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. 
And he asked, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? So in other words, Turner, Dr. Turner explains, Jesus asked, Was John weak? Was he a wavering person? The implied answer is no. John was bold. He taught the truth. He stood up for truth. He spoke out against both the religious and political leaders' sin. Even the strongest believer, the one who shows strong boldness for God in the truth, may at times waver, may at times be swayed by the circumstances of life. This is why we must stay vigilant. We must stay in prayer for one another. We must pray for ourselves to stay faithful to God. Pray for others to stay faithful to God. And realize that having doubts about God, having questions about the outworking of God's kingdom here on earth, is a place even the strongest believers find themselves. So you're not alone. God knows your heart. And others experience similar doubts. And so when someone does express doubt or questions about God and about His kingdom, our response should not be one of shock or judgmentalism, but we should have an awareness that this is spoken of in the Bible. We should pray for them. We should follow Jesus' example, point them to the Scriptures, remind them of God's goodness, remind them of what God has done, remind them of what God's kingdom is all about, remind them of the blessing and joy Jesus offers by putting their faith in him. And Jesus continues to build up John's character once again by asking in verse 8, is what then did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See those who wear soft clothes or are in royal palaces. Again, the implied answer is no. John was not dressed in soft and fine, expensive clothing like those people that wear in a king's palace. John wore a camel hair garment and preached in the wilderness. He was not preaching for financial gain. It was obvious. And then in verse 9, Jesus asks again, What then did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. So Jesus affirms that John was a prophet, one who, was, who spoke God's message. And not just any prophet, Jesus says. He's actually the prophet foretold about in Malachi 3.1. The prophet that was to prepare the way for God's coming, to, to prepare the way for the kingdom of God. Again, since John is preparing the way for Jesus, this shows that Jesus is God. And in verse 11, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So after all this buildup, how explaining how John was not weak, he was not wavering, he did not dress in expensive clothes, the prophet that prepared the way for Jesus as prophesied in Malachi 3, among those born of women, no one is greater than he. But... Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So here Jesus is comparing those in the old covenant, those born of women, and to comparing to those born in the new covenant, those born of the Holy Spirit, 
John 3, 6. And setting forward uh, what I would call an upside-down view of those in the kingdom of heaven. Because on earth, John was a popular preacher. He appealed to all Judea, uh, all around the Jordan. He became so popular, his message had reached Herod the Tetrarch. Herod feared his influence on the people. Some held that John the Baptist in so great esteem that they thought he was actually the Son of Man, promised in the Old Testament, Matthew 16, 14. And indeed, Jesus affirms that John was great, the greatest born of women. However, as Dr. Hannon explains, greatness in God's kingdom is not based on the role one plays or the mighty deeds one performs. Rather, it is determined by seeking both God's kingdom and righteousness and by living lives in accordance with God's will. And it is not that people in the kingdom are so much better, people with the Spirit, people of the new covenant. It's not that we're so much better than John on our own merit. It's because we have the Spirit working in us. We have God's Spirit uh, in us, and this, the Spirit's role has been broadened and intensified into every believer. Something different than in the old covenant. However, we see again greatness, though we may be great in God's kingdom because we are filled with the Spirit. Greatness in God's kingdom does not mean an easy life in, in the here and now. We see Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. Well, this is a somewhat complicated uh, passage, and people have different interpretations on this verse. Uh, it seems to me most likely that uh, Jesus is speaking about persecution, the persecution of Jesus and his followers, as he has repeatedly done in chapter 10 up till now. And Jesus explains that this persecution is not evidence against Jesus as the Messiah. Instead, this evidence shows that Jesus is the Messiah. And he connects this to the prophecies in verse 13. He says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. That is, prophets and the law, that is the whole Old Testament. All of the Old Testament has been pointing forward to this time. The time in which God's kingdom, God himself, would come to earth. And then verse 14, Jesus says, If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. That is, if you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist is the Elijah promised to come. Because while the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets prophesy about Jesus, Jesus mentions the specific prophecy of Malachi 4.5 which says, Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Again, John is the prophet like Elijah, who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. That is, to preach repentance, proclaim God's rule in God's kingdom. And as we, we mentioned before, the coming of God's kingdom is good news to those who realize their sin. It's good news to, to those who repent and turn to Jesus for salvation. However, God's kingdom is bad news for those who reject it, those who continue in their rebellion. It is a great and terrible day for them. And back in Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it. 
He recognizes that this view of God's kingdom will be hard to hear. And others may have had different expectations about the coming of the kingdom. Thus, the story of Jesus and God's kingdom may be transforming some of your preconceived notions of what you thought was true about his kingdom. But if you take into account everything Jesus has said and done, and you fit the pieces together, you see how John prepared the way for the Lord, then you will see Jesus for who he truly is and have a right expectation for his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that these things are easy to understand or easy to believe. As Jesus acknowledges in verse 15, he says, Let anyone who has ears listen. So even though Jesus told them to report what they saw and what they heard, it takes more than just listening to understand. For Jesus' statement harkens back to the Old Testament prophets. Specifically, we can look at Jeremiah 5.21. It says, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. As Dr. Allison points out, words, unless heeded, go in one ear and out the other. So don't let this be just another sermon. Don't take Jesus' words for granted. What you do with Jesus' words, whether you believe them or you reject them, will have eternal consequences. Whether your doubts arise from the pits of a dungeon, like John the Baptist. For when, he faced, when, when faced with trials, when faced with sufferings or disappointments, you imagine the Christian life, you imagine God's kingdom would be different. Well, in a sense, you're not wrong to expect God's kingdom to be perfection. To be without sin and pain, but you would be wrong in the sense of your timing. For we await the fullness of God's kingdom to come at Christ's return to make everything right. And for now, we live at the inception of the kingdom, at the beginning of the kingdom. We live in joy now under the rule of God, being transformed by God's spirit through the new covenant paid for in Jesus' blood on the cross. So as Jesus says in verse 15, let anyone who has ears listen. I pray that today would be the day it clicks that all of a sudden it makes sense. You may have heard it a thousand times before, but today, for some reason, by the grace and the mystery of God, you really heard and understood and believed in the good news of Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.